I'm sort of like Bender. If I don't drink, I start to get into trouble. <laughs> um, that's not true. Don't listen, Mom. Bow Mouse Podcast. It's about birds. <clears throat> Hi, and welcome to episode four of Foul Mouths Podcast. On this week's episode, we sit down with Audubon, Connecticut Conservation Programs Associate, Genevieve Nuttall. We chat about feather pigmentation, her work with important bird areas, the plight of the salt marsh sparrow, and the assholes that are making her job harder. So sit back, put on some thrash metal, and get ready to get angry about conservation. Hi, Genevieve. Welcome to Foul Mouths. Thanks. It's really cool to have you on. You're the first woman. Yeah. You're definitely the youngest person yeah. on so far. And um, you're a birder. And so you checked all the boxes for us. And local. And yeah. you're <laughs> local. There's another box. Thank you. Um, so you checked all these boxes. And we were really, so we were really looking forward to talking to you because. Um, I was like, we need to get a woman on because yeah. we've already done three dudes. Too much testosterone. <laughs> Did I say that right? Did I just stutter over that word? Yeah. Testosterone. testosterone. You're fine. Am I saying it right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that in the birding world. Yes. There is. How do you feel about that? Um, women are coming through. Yeah, we're we're balancing it out. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I see a lot more women with binoculars. Uh, at most places and I see men right now in Connecticut at least I don't know if that's true but that's how it feels yeah it's not how it felt when I first started but and that was only a couple of years ago but it does seem like I'm seeing more women like it's feeling more even yeah just I think because I think more people are getting into it well I think it's good I'm happy keeps uh I think women are generally more polite. I've noticed at the patches. <laughs> that's how. That's one thing. They're generally more friendly, more polite, more willing to share what they've seen. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, and definitely, and more willing to laugh too when all the dudes are standing around Very scratching serious. their chin. Yeah, right. <laughs> Eyes on scopes. Yes. It's, all, it's crazy. It's all. And the women are like, "So what did you do today?" <laughs> like, "Oh, this is great. Thank you. <laughs> I feel human right now, and not being like stared down." Through a scope by somebody who grumbled at. So, um, yeah. So, thanks for coming on. You're welcome. That was the longest um, intro yet. Intro. <laughs> There's a whole lot of good firsts going on today. That's good. Um. So, you went to school for science. Were you into birding then, or did it come after? Yeah. So. I didn't really know anything about birds going into college. I really wanted to study conservation and ecology, um, but I didn't have a specific taxa that I wanted to focus on. And I just happened to join a lab at UConn, and my professor was an ornithologist, and he studied birds. And I was like, hmm, birds seem seem pretty cool. Like, tell me more. <laughs> and he took me birding one morning, and I thought I knew what birding was. Like, my parents always watched birds outside their window, and I thought that was birding. But did I learn quickly that birding <laughs> was so much more? Um, so, yeah, we went out. I saw my first yellow warbler, and then it just kind of clicked. Yep. <laughs> um, so that was my freshman year, and then the next three years of college, I kind of dedicated everything I did had something to do with birds. Um, 
because they were just a great group to do conservation through because they capture so much of the ecosystem. Um, so yeah, I just kind of fell in love with birds. So um, when you say they capture so much of the ecosystem, can you go into that a little bit more? Yeah, sure. So birds eat insects, they live in trees and other plants, other things eat birds, whether it be mammals or bigger birds or whatever else is out there. <laughs> so they really just link all the ecosystems together. And anywhere you go, whatever ecosystem you're in, you're bound to see birds. Um, and they're going to be tons of different species. So I think they just are that, that link that every ecosystem has. Yeah. You hear other conservationists say that too. Uh, birds are the most visible, uh, aside from humans, I think. Mm -hmm. Like they're the most visible. And so it captures, it's easy to get people interested in something that they see all the time. Or it should be easy at least. It seems like it's, it gets enough people's attention. Um, so I, th I find that, I think it's pretty cool uh, that uh, there are so many like new organizations that seem to keep popping up and like all of these new programs that seem to keep popping up. Um, you're involved with Connecticut Audubon or Audubon Connecticut? Both. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I work for Audubon. So I work for Audubon Connecticut now. Okay. I used to work for Connecticut Audubon as okay. an intern, but we work together so much that I'm always talking with people for my staff and Connecticut Audubon staff. So nice. okay. we complement each other very well, I think. So what are you doing right now that's, the, what is your, what's your main project? What are you working on? Yeah, so my title is Bird Conservation Program Associate for Audubon, Connecticut. So yes, it's a lot of words put together in one title, but <laughs> <laughs> that basically just means I'm helping coordinate all the different conservation programs we have going on throughout the state. So like right now, it's all shorebirds, um because all the piping plovers and oyster catchers are nesting. So we're getting our field techs out there monitoring. We have our volunteers monitoring every day, making sure we know what's going on with every nest of those focal species. Um, and now that the terns are coming back in numbers, we're going to start looking at their productivity as well. Um, so that's like my main summer focus. In the winter, I'll do more of the important bird area program that National Audubon coordinates throughout the country and grants, lots of grants. <laughs> oh, do you have to write them? Uh, it's writing, <laughs> reporting, doing oh. parts of the budgeting, oh, but Christ. that's, you know, how nonprofits keep going. Yeah, so we need it. Horrible. No that's one so likes sad. doing it. So but. <laughs> not that the distinction isn't perfectly clear to me, but perhaps for our listeners, uh, you could tell us the difference between Connecticut Audubon and Audubon, Connecticut. Yes, sure, I will. Not just the word order part, because that's yes. I think I have this down after trying to explain it so many times. <laughs> um, so Audubon, Connecticut is the state office of the National Audubon Society, which is a countrywide organization. Okay. Um, so National Audubon has a presence throughout the country, but then the state offices kind of dictate all of their specific programs, whether it be in education or conservation. Um, the Connecticut Audubon Society is an independent organization that's not affiliated with National. I believe it was actually founded before National Audubon was a thing. Mm. So I, I could be wrong, but um, it was in Connecticut before Audubon Connecticut came to be at least. So it's been doing great conservation work and birding work. Um, 
And we do a lot of the same things. We both have centers. We both have education programs that go on at the centers. We both do different types of conservation work. But we just do it in different places. So really, again, it's a complement of all those patchwork pieces put together. Different grants. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so how fucked up is the Long Island Sound shoreline? Well, that's a tough question because it is better in some regards than it was 50 or 100 years ago. We've done a lot to improve it with pollution factors and just general awareness. Um, for example, for the shorebirds, now people are more aware that shorebirds need to share the shore, that's our tagline, <laughs> um, with humans. So maybe 20 years ago, people were not seeing nests of shorebirds because they blend in right with the sand on the beach so people could easily step on them. Um, now we're building awareness. We fence off all the nesting areas so people can't really walk in them as easily. Uh, we hope that they don't want to either, that they respect the birds. Um, so in that regard, we're doing better, but with climate change and sea level rise, there's a lot still to be done. Um, so we can make people respect the birds on the beaches and maybe in other habitats like salt marshes and everything, but if those habitats are gone in 50 years, then all of our efforts have been lost. Uh, so we're really fighting on many levels to reduce human disturbance on the coast to make sure that these habitats are resilient in the face of climate change and sea level rise. Are you, say, are you seeing nesting spots change position, like further up? So for shorebirds, um, yeah, it's a really good question. For shorebirds, they have their beach habitat changes so much because with every storm and every winter, the where the sand is located uh, gets changed pretty often. So those birds can adapt better, I believe, to these changing sand mm. areas as long as they have sand and the dunes that they need um, or rocks for oyster catchers. They should be able to find nesting areas as long as they're not disturbed by people. Um, if we're looking at salt marsh, which is our main other coastal habitat, we want these birds to adapt their nesting locations, like maybe nest higher up or somehow become more resilient to getting inundated with tides. Um, but we're not seeing that right now, which is why we're so worried about species like the salt marsh sparrow uh, and that they might be gone soon. Mm, that would ruin my life. I spend, yeah. <laughs> seriously, we go, Nicole and I go to Hammonasset, Nicole goes and sunbathes, and I go and bird <laughs> for like an hour, and then we'll go swimming together or like eat lunch, but most of my time is spent just hanging out on that one piece of boardwalk watching the salt marsh sparrows. Mm. I, I love that little like community of sparrows so much. They've like made so many like crappy beach days so much better, <laughs> I'm just, I burn, I'm English, I burn like a... I've burned terribly with a lobster. <laughs> so I walk around with like a hat on, lots of, you know, lots of sunscreen. And I like just sit there and stare at the salt marsh sparrows and like you watch them. You wear a t shirt when you swim. <laughs> well, I don't wear a t shirt when I swim, Scott, damn it. You have like a white nose, you got the zinc on the nose. You wear a t shirt. I have a swim shirt, it's long sleeves, you know. That's me. Okay. Full body Catch me on the beach in sweatpants. Salt marsh sparrows. They have the coolest song. They sound like little robots. I love it. And they're uh, they're like people. You would think they'd be elusive because of where they live. They're mm -hmm. like in this like tall grass, and they kind of nest right above the waterline, which is part of the problem. But they spend a lot of time like looking around at what's near them. 
And so they're really curious in that way. And so you can kind of interact with them. And if you stand still long enough, they stop noticing you're there. And then they start coming closer. And you get to see them, like, watch the movement around them. And there are all these fucking people. You know, there are thousands of people that pass through there every week. And they have no idea that there's this, yeah. like, really heavily declining species. And they're super charismatic. And, like, they're just these little robot birds and they're <laughs> hilarious and i fucking hate it people are like you'll watch somebody like flick trash into the uh, fucking marsh mm-hmm. right where they're sitting and i'm mm-hmm. like you know what man <laughs> it takes everything in me not to be like fuck you dude <laughs> like <laughs> don't you tell me fuck off i don't know because i have binoculars on and i'm just like facing down a dude with a blowout and a fucking you know yeah, well uh, you can f- use those binoculars that's true but then i won't have binoculars if i break them will nikon cover that yeah. if oh. i hit a dude they do yeah Really? Oh, for conservation only. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Then it's different. Now it's different. Eco warrior yeah. purposes. Yeah. But I think for sure everybody, anybody that's not been to Hammonasset and like across from Meg's, like on the way to Meg's Point across from the Nature Center, there's this beautiful little population of salt marsh sparrows. So, mm. and if you don't know anything about what she's talking about right now, go see them and then try not to yeah, we get have involved. A- We've been to Hamanasa, but we haven't... We're usually chasing something more exotic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, yeah. Yeah. We should probably spend some time with salt marshmallows. Oh, I'll bring you to the salt marshmallows for sure. They're worth seeing. They're very... Right now, For a sparrow, go. they're very nice because they have, like, nice yellow streak on yeah. their head. Mm-hmm. I've done banding of the salt marshmallows. So I've gotten to hold them in my hand. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. And we've held babies, and then it's oh, kind of depressing. No. Like, you may be extinct in my lifetime, but I'm holding you in my hand right oh, now. That's so sad. So, cry. yeah. <laughs> it's, it, can be, it can be very depressing. Oh, but man. that's why we want to find a better future for them so how much of a part um does the local conservation aspect play in terms of preservation and and how much has to be a sort of global Mm. effort in terms of big picture thinking uh carbon footprint and sort of life change stuff yeah and oh jesus is there (laughs) is there um some sort of like positive takeaway that that um that that people can do. You know, every time I listen to um, a podcast, a birding podcast, like, I don't know, Foul Mouse podcast. Um, <laughs> I heard they're great, actually. Yeah. yeah. I, I, um, I heard the audio, audio quality is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, very clear. I just cried a little bit. Um, every time I listen to a show, you know, they're, they're sort of like, um, it's like watching a nature documentary. It's like, starts out cool. And then it's like this beautiful thing oh, you yeah. fall in love with. It, and then All they're the like, and then it gets eaten. Mm-hmm. And also the world is it's like dying. on fire. And they show like the giant, <laughs> you know, plastic, you know, f- garbage, garbage gun. thing in the ocean. And you're like, we're fucked. Like, fuck it. Like, there's nothing we can do. And it becomes on that trash Island. Yeah. <laughs> Build a raft, raft out there. I've heard it's actually turning into plastic sludge now. It's not oh, even cool. chunks mm-hmm. of plastic. Nice. Like the, it's it's worn down to this well, sort of this like real shoreline really, micro sludge. It's not it's cool. really an island. It's it's no, just, it's, it's just, all micro. Anyway, it's back to the question. So, do you remember the question? Because there were I didn't. You, did you finish the third there wasn't. Question? I hadn't actually gotten okay. it. Thank <laughs> you for pointing that out. Um, so, um, is there uh, a a sort of positive action step that people listening to this can take and sort of feel good about that isn't necessarily, although I'm not saying you can't go and volunteer to do this kind of work. 
Um, but what are the things that we can do in, in day-to-day life that can sort of assist in these efforts to save the salt marsh sparrows? Thank you. Yes, okay, so first, on like a global scale, if we could reduce carbon emissions and reduce our footprint, that would help a lot of things. Not just salt marsh sparrows; it would help humans. Most importantly, I think because <laughs> well, those guys. Yeah, yeah. If we're yeah. gone, then none of this matters. Are, yeah, humans are definitely the trash bird of. <laughs> yes, planets, yes, so. definitely. Um, but I think at Audubon, we really try to focus on a local level because, at least for me, like I think we can make a difference in Connecticut, and if each state along our coast is working together uh, and making those local changes will really make an impact. Whereas if, you know, we're just waiting for someone to make a change on the global scale or the national scale, who knows how long that will take. Um, but locally, we can we can make changes. So, for example, for Audubon, what we're trying to do, uh, for salt marshes at least, um, one idea is encouraging people who live in salt marsh migration corridors to or maybe land trusts who have land near them, um, put an easement on that land. So salt marshes in the future, they might migrate upwards with sea level rise because they're getting pushed out of their normal range. Mm -hmm. And if there are houses or development right there, they have nowhere to go. But if people or organizations or land trusts understand that and are willing to maybe put an easement on that property saying, okay, will allow no more no more development in this area will allow the salt marsh to naturally move into here um and maybe that will give a chance for the salt marsh sparrow to have new habitat or at least uh maintain some of that habitat but it's just shifted upwards so that's one idea that i think has a lot of potential if we can just get people aware of the situation and like, you know, what the heck is a marsh migration corridor? It might sound kind of jargony, but just spreading that awareness um, is a first step, I think. Um, what but yeah. the heck is a marsh migration corridor? Right? <laughs> yes, Sean, what I the think, heck? I think you mean what the hell. <laughs> I do mean what the hell. Thank you. Thank you for correcting me. We are foul-mouthed here. Uh, <laughs> So <laughs> imagine where the salt marsh is now on the coast. It's hard to picture it, but... Yeah, it's very small patches. <laughs> Such a dick. <laughs> we have very little now, but we have some. We have some. So usually it's connected to, like, to a river. So the East River Marsh okay. um, in Guilford slash Madison, for example, we have this beautiful marsh at the mouth of the river. Um, but as Long Island Sound waters rise, that marsh is going to get inundated and flooded and start drowning, but maybe the marsh will get pushed upwards on the river. So there might be houses on that river or other properties on that river, but if those properties were just open area, that marsh could be allowed to transition nicely, um, because salt water eventually will inundate, it will cause the upland plants that are there now to die off because they aren't salt tolerant but then the salt tolerant grasses uh can start colonizing that area so Hmm. yeah i feel like there's probably a couple of couple of pieces of property that could just get swallowed up by nature and nobody would fucking worry too much about those people anymore (laughs) just move somewhere else please give us back our marshes please for the fucking salt marsh sparrows for the sparrows do it for the sparrows (laughs) What is kind of like 
I don't know. Maybe. So, like, East Rock Park, have you noticed, ever since they let the dam go? Like, it's, so, so they've, <laughs> they've changed, so, there's this thing that we've noticed with East Rock, is that they, they've changed how they're, they're doing the, the land, and that they're letting fallen trees fall. Mm. Well, and they removed, right, they removed a dam on the Mill River. Yeah. Oh, they did. Um, they did. Well, they changed. I think a they, couple. Yeah. And so they've they've been that. doing this this sort of reversion, where they're eliminating man made barriers, oh. um, to allow it to sort of return. What? Yeah. It's it, it, so it won't ever return. Return, but it'll no. be the ebb and flow will be more natural. Oh, okay. So we'll see a little bit more tidal action and stuff like that. Yeah, depending you already, on, already yeah, have. Depending on where you are in on, on oh, the Mill River. I didn't know this. So I don't know if we see much of this below Lake Whitney on the Mill River, but mm-hmm. I know above it, it's oh, okay. it's a very significant difference. But even just, anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just oh, I think of that because the park, ever like they've kind of have just let trees fall in mm-hmm. and the... The um, where the water comes up is further now because it now there's a bigger swell, okay. Like it's more affected by the tide, I, or at least it seems that makes sense. I mean, I noticed it, I guess. I just assumed it was because we had fucking uh, two years of rain in a row, so no, no, they've actually made we're just real, drowning real changes. <laughs> and, I, and I feel like this is one of these things that, hmm. Yeah, there's um I'm not too familiar with that example, no. but in West Haven they've fixed the tide gates there and I think they've seen a return of the salt marsh in that area um because mm. they're nice. like oh, wow. restoring that natural Sweet. flow. Okay. In other places they've been able to reduce the amount of invasive phragmites um because they're allowing the brackish water to come back in because they don't uh phragmites that's a freshwater invasive uh, it's called common common reed. Um, okay. So it's mm. phragmites. Yeah, you'll definitely like if you saw it, you'd be like, oh, okay, I know what that is. It's mm. everywhere. But any freshwater now should basically, we kill it if we see it? It's really hard to kill. Okay. So like you can think you're killing it by like cutting it or something, Punching but it. it will always it's like come sea back. Donkey it's like donkey weed of the sea. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know about <laughs> no. this? Okay. <laughs> Japanese weed. not weed. Japanese oh. not weed colloquially known as donkey weed. Yeah, the weed. Really? And so if you go yeah. into East Rock Park donkey or weed. pretty much just Anywhere. walk outside, <laughs> you will see this massive explosion of Japanese knotweed. Yeah. Which is basically just blanketing the area. Yeah, and it's also, that's another hard one to kill. Yes. yes. So. Yeah. I've never heard it called donkey weed, though. Yeah, I looked it up one day, and, like, there's, like, a bunch of different terms for it. But, of course, when we saw donkey, <laughs> donkey weed, donkey yes. Weed. Yeah, like uh, okay. I might start calling that. <laughs> donkey so, um, do, you, do you know about um, the work that was done in uh, Silver Sands Park? Um, I know the configuration there changed a few years back, and we were commenting about it. They had removed... A lot of sand, mm. and they had actually. There used to be an what appeared to be an inlet and an outlet um, on the boardwalk as you pass from the parking lot over towards the sort of more walking north up towards the beach in, in Charles Island. Hmm. Um, and they they uh, blocked one, they covered one of them up so that. And I, I it was it had to be on purpose because they had to move a ton <laughs> of sand. Um, I, I yeah, I don't purpose. know. I hope it was on purpose. <laughs> uh, they had to move a bunch of sand, and they keep sort of reconfiguring it. But um, 
Yeah, so anyway, we'll just cut this. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't it know. Is, it is fans. interesting to me, though, just because um, it, it seemed like a weird thing at the time, but it, it does seem like the salt marsh there is really super healthy. Hmm. Because every time I go, there are sort of more and more species moving in. The last time I was there, I saw two great white egrets with a snowy egret just like together i thought it was like a baby or something like, and they're just all in the same part of this while you know some wood ducks are going by and there's like a you know a great blue on the other side and it was just like some sort of disney thing and this is the last time we were there no i wasn't there i meant we the royal we me <laughs> Last time I was there. You also had a scarlet tanager on the ground, and that was... I had a scarlet tanager on the ground. That's weird. And you know what was weird about that? Is that then on Facebook, on the Connecticut Birds group, everyone was seeing scarlet tanagers on the ground that day. There was, like, a whole bunch of different reports. They're all So that was during that weird cold Cold snap snap that occurred after uh, Global Big Day. It was oh, like, yeah. what, a couple, like a week? No, it was the week after? It was the second or third fallout of yeah, migration. Yeah, exactly. We had like four yeah. or something <laughs> like that. So. And it got really cold and everything, everybody stopped. Yeah. By everybody, I mean every birdie. And, <laughs> I don't know, man, come on. Wow. Uh, I don't know, Scotch. And, uh, <laughs> and everybody stopped and um, I don't know where I was going with this. Oh, yeah, the Scarlet Tanager. Maybe, like, there's something really tasty in the ground. It's, it was just well, weird because was... it kept going from tree to, to bushes and then to the ground. And, and then it literally hopped on the ground. It didn't move off the ground. It just hopped on the ground probably 25 or 30 yards up. And I'm That's just cool. like, I'm in the so I'm weird. in the parking yeah. lot. And I'm just walking next to this. <laughs> tanager and i'm just like phone scoping the shit out of it yeah and um yeah and then it was like i i got up past around the other side of the marsh and and up that street and there were like five red starts a uh a yellow warbler um an eastern wood peewee and there was another one that i can't remember they were all in like pecking distance from each other in this one little sort of uh, storm drain that was full of water. They were in the storm drain? They were like around the storm drain. Oh, around it's, the storm so, drain. So the storm wow, drain, by that storm drain, I mean like, I mean like the water, just, you know, the, the path for the water. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that's, like, that's I mean, that's still a weird, that's really still weird, weird day. That's still weird, yeah. It was. It was a really yeah. weird day. That's cool. That's, we had, I think, I think everybody is probably going to have stories, like really good stories from this year's migration because it's been pretty wild. The shorebird, shorebird, shorebird migration <laughs> has been really wild too. There was like some huge, huge number of um, uh, semi-palmated sandpipers at Stratford. Yeah, I missed, I missed them, but I saw the pictures because that's where my office is, but I didn't see them. It was crazy. It was, like, creepy. Yeah. What was high count? I don't know. But it was, like, a field of birds. Like, I didn't realize they were birds at first, and I looked, I was like, oh. Yeah. Like, 
the the kind the number of the, it's like it's like the kind of numbers where even the most diehard of like bird lovers is kind of like gets the chills when you see <laughs> that mass move because there isn't like an end or a beginning to it necessarily and they like were in the all photo like, one species yeah you know so were they like all running together with the shore like, no they were, were like they... roosted in oh, like yeah. one big blanket of sandpiper it was wild yeah, Stratford Point is known as a roosting spot for these shorebirds when they're migrating. So they'll just come and rest and feed. And what are they eating? Little invertebrates, just right along the coastline. They're not one that, like, stalks the horseshoe crabs while they uh, lay their eggs? I don't think so. Red knots are the shorebird species I know that really associate with the Them horseshoe and, like, laughing gulls, crab right? eggs. Yeah, we don't really have... Those two species are more southern species, so right. we don't get red knots too often here. Right, there's been a, I've never even heard of one. There's a couple kicking around at uh, Milford Point at the moment, but I think they're probably not going to stick around for much longer if they are here. Yeah. Some overshoots, maybe. I think Long Island has them more, which is kind of weird. They yeah. just don't want to come across the water. It's the one thing that Long Island seems to have more of. Yeah, actually. that and black skimmers. They yeah. have more black skimmers, which I'm yeah. jealous. I've never seen a black skimmer. Really? Yeah. Oh, no way. They're always, like, right across the <laughs> I know. From I know. And I've been multiple times, and I've never been lucky. Oh, man. So. Now we get one. We should have a sad talk about the birds that are always around that we've never, never seen. Never seen. I know. Oh, yeah. That's, That's a, my one. It's like our constant lament. <laughs> Everyone's got one. Well, maybe not Sean. Sean's seen 7,000 bird species. But for the mortals in the room, <laughs> I got my first black Bernie in last, uh, last weekend with Sean. Well, not last weekend, but a couple weeks ago with Sean. Yeah. Trout broke. And this is not like a rare warbler. And I just, you know, it was like, you look here, it's over there. Yeah. You look there, it's behind you, <laughs> you know. I think more more frustrating, because I, I feel like the black Bernie, and it's, it's more of like a mm. migratory thing. You're pileated. The pileated. He's <laughs> oh, yeah. a sad pileated. With the, it was just like... Pileated. You haven't seen one? Four no. years. No. I finally saw oh, one okay. this year. I got, got my it. first one. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. They can be hard to see. Like You well, hear them all the time. You hear them. Yeah. And we actually chased one through East Rock Park once. We're just like... <sighs> you know, like <laughs> crunching through the leaves. Like, I hear it. It's over there. And just never, never saw it. I, I mean, Heather, you, you got yours... Uh, a few years ago, right? A few years ago, we were just driving, and we were in the Hudson Valley, and it was just, like, on a dead tree by the side of the yeah. road going at it. And oh, I'm like, nice. oh, like, that's huge. Yeah. <laughs> that's a and big And then I realized pepper. what it was. Yeah. yeah. I see them flying all the time on, on my way to work. I see they just fly across the highway, and you can tell what they are because they fly like a woodpecker. They have that, like, quick mm. flap and drop and but they're so fucking Huge. big and black that yeah. it's like impossible to mistake them for anything else. So. <laughs> but I think it's just because I drive through the woods all the time, so that's probably why. Um, okay, so you've been working in conservation for a while with these really great organizations, but what did you do in school that got you here? <laughs> it wasn't... You were working with, like... Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this off of the paper because I'll fuck it up otherwise. Do you want to okay. hold it closer? You were doing you research at UConn with uh, plumage variations due to food sources. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> that was good. Talk uh, about that. So okay. I don't have to say it again. All right. Yeah, so... <laughs> we'll edit in some applause. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I became very interested in pigmentation, first because I was in a lab about flower pigmentation pathways. So we are talking about the genetics associated with, like, turning on genes that make flowers red or yellow, which was 
way over my head in chemistry, but also made me really passionate about how pigmentation is so ubiquitous all over the world. So like you think about the same pigments that make flowers red, they make birds red, they make fish red, like it's the same compounds. It's really fascinating. In terms Um, of like what, like beta carotene or does it go even further than that? Yeah. Well, it's like, I was looking at carotenoids um, and astaxanthin, canthaxanthin in my specific project. I don't know all the different names because I'm I'm not a chemist. I pretended I was a chemist for my thesis. Um, We we pretend to be a chemist. I was going to say, we pretend we're podcasters all the time. Yes. Fake it till you make it. (laughs) I got to wear my lab coat and everything. Um, (laughs) You like your lab coat. I feel like we need lab coats. I wish I had a lab coat. It would swish too much for the I wish you had a lab coat. Thank you. (laughs) But yeah, so I was really interested in pigmentation and I liked ragwing blackbirds a lot because at UConn we had all these ponds and that was the one bird I would see every day. Um, And just the male display really fascinated me. Like bright red epaulets, their shoulder feathers just flashing and that signals their territory. Um, So it's not really a sexual attraction it's more of showing the other males, like, this is my spot, don't come close. Oh, man. Uh, but that's, like, that red warning signal that's so prominent in nature. Um, so, yeah, I was reading up, and that red pigmentation in birds, um, same with yellow, comes from the food sources they have, whereas other birds, like the browns or the blues that they um, show, aren't from food sources. Browns are produced by their own bodies, they can produce them. Um, and blues are actually structural, so any light coming down on like a grackle, mm-hmm. that bluish color, that's only because light is coming down on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not actually the color of their feathers, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But the red and yellow colors in bird feathers come from the foods they eat. Uh, so red wing backwards, for example, they eat like seeds or insects that the those carotenoids or astaxanthins and canthaxanthins come from the foods they eat, get transferred and throughout their bodies, maybe changed a little bit, and then get deposited in their feathers as like red or yellow. So it was just really interesting. I thought it was so cool. And like, that's the same thing that colors the yolk of an egg yellow. Like, just so interesting. Wait, so what if they don't, what if, so if they start eating other food, does it fuck the color up in their in their shoulders though that's that's what i wanted to try to find out because there have been other examples like you mentioned the the cardinals are orange scarlet tanagers or we look at cedar wax wings that's one example i was researching up on so they started eating an invasive species and that actually changed the color of their tail feathers oh, wow. so the yellow. the yellow became like an orange or a That's pinkish cool. hue or something so wow. holy shit really? they were so associated with one native plant and that made their tails yellow but once they switched over it actually changed the color um which has like big implications for what the species looks like which is really interesting hmm. um so for my red wing blackbirds i didn't see any strong association like that but hmm. i just thought like their habitat has changed so much over time because the availability of wetlands throughout Connecticut has changed. We've had a lot of land change history from agriculture back to forest um, mm-hmm. throughout the state. So I didn't find anything super interesting. Um, my sample size ended up being a little small, but I did notice that the museum specimens that I collected in the 1970s had 
stronger signals of two of the carotenoid pigments, whereas the birds that were caught in 2016 only had strong signals of one of those compounds, which may mean that there's some difference in the food sources that they're eating and what pigments they have available. But my sample Mm. size wasn't really strong enough to conclude that. (laughs) So just on a side note, how do you determine this? Like, are you dissolving feathers in some sort of... Yeah. Yes. Yep. So, <laughs> sniffed the feathers off of some museum specimens that I got permission to do so. Um, and same with the live birds that we banded. Mm-hmm. Didn't harm them. Um, Cut their wings right off. No. <laughs> at, the, at the shoulder. No, just like two little feathers. Um, <laughs> just eat them after you're done. <laughs> but yeah, you kind of... You extract the pigments into a solution, and then you run that solution through... <laughs> HPLC, which is high-performance liquid chromatography. Again, I'm not a chemist, but someone showed me how to do all this stuff. Scott's a college professor, so he's judging heavy. Yes, well, your use of acronyms is spot on. (laughs) Well done. Try to explain them. CSI ornithology. That's right. We need some exciting music for behind. I think this is the quietest I've ever been in an episode. Honestly, I'm like really intently listening. This is super interesting. But also, I see her in the lab coat with like the my big glasses. Yeah, Mm -hmm. glasses like. Mm-hmm. The gloves. Dissolving. Th- I mean, that's sick. It's well, really cool. I, I got in trouble so much because I was like, so not. My lab work was like going out birding. And so, like, <laughs> I was so not used to the whole concept of like, put on a coat and my glasses and my gloves. I always got yelled at, like, you do not have those on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, in the lab, you're yeah. like about to. I'm like, I have my binoculars. Yeah. What are you. <laughs> just dissolving in the cup with your uh yeah <laughs> that sucks yeah just killing stuff um okay so what about what's up with yellow cardinals because there's going to be a lot of fucking douchebags if that are going to talk about stupid yellow cardinals for the next like 10 years what? you never seen the yellow cardinal picture no yeah the only literally the only birder in the world that hasn't seen a yellow cardinal picture you should pull up a yellow cardinal Have picture you? Uh, yeah, no, I, I look at it all the time. Is this the same thing or is this a what, different What's thing? the hypothesis for that one? I don't know. Because I've seen pictures of it and I honestly am like, oh, that probably happens like somewhat regularly. And then so, I realized, oh uh, no. It was like on the cover of... It's, yeah, it was a big deal. Um, I, I feel like now that I see it, I may have seen... You've definitely seen it. Yeah. You probably thought it was just some asshole Photoshop. No, 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 no. <laughs> I think I also, saw the article now. I totally forgot. It's only one cardinal. Come on. Well, apparently there was another one, and that was the one. That, then, then all the fucking Facebook scientists popped up and were like, <laughs> oh, and all, the, and all the boards. Well, it's probably something to do with their food sources. Yeah. And, well, and then some, you know, then it's just a bunch of dudes blowing smoke up each other's asses for a while. <laughs> so. I mean, you, it could be. Or it could just be like one of their genes got messed up yeah. and it's producing a weird color. Right. So yeah, like a chromosome or some yeah. sort of issue. But that... there's been you know there's been like uh, Baltimore's Orioles showing up mm. in photos with really weird pigment variations and scarlet tanagers like full fully mature Whoa. scarlet tanagers. God. Whoa, what is <laughs> that? Holy Christ. specimen. This is, Scott just pulled up a picture of a really gnarly specimen. On it. Whoa. Is, that, yeah. a, is, that, a is that a cardinal? Is that a cardinal? It is, but it's, it's also RT, 
So, like, yeah. it might be Russian propaganda. Oh, <laughs> it's definitely Russian propaganda. The Facebook post is no longer available. Okay. It is confirmed to be Russian propaganda. 100% <laughs> propaganda. That's it. Never it's trust always... anything you see on Facebook. Yeah. Oh, God. Stop showing the picture. I'm Heather's going to vomit. I just closed the tab. <laughs> so, do you, does, you don't, it could be a thing, but, it okay. It could be. I, I wanted to ask. I don't fucking know. Yeah. I don't know for sure. I mean, sure. there's plenty of pictures of this thing. There's you know? a lot of pictures. Is there of a wreck? Is there a wreck? But I just like wreck. maybe this is like what Jesse was talking about. They just like figured out National where it would pop work. National Geographic. Has Met a million people? pictures of it. Yeah, the same <laughs> picture over and over again. The bombshell yellow northern cardinal from should, Alabama compared to a regular old hey, northern Scott, cardinal. Yes. You should look, you should talk into the microphone. I, but I can't <laughs> I can't do that and actually read this off my computer wow. screen. Do they have a conclusion there? Update. The Alabama yellow cardinal has shacked up with a red female Whoa. cardinal in the yard Whoa. where it was originally spotted. Uh-oh. After raising at least one know. chick, the couple now seems to be nesting again. Oh. I mean, you that's can what follow along do. on their Facebook page. <laughs> These two cardinals have a Facebook page. Aww. So there's nothing scientific in any of the articles, but we do know the love life <laughs> yes. of the yellow, the yellow cardinal, cardinal has a Facebook page. What he color is... are the babies? Yeah, what color are the babies? And then yeah. there were none. Pink? Hold on. Did they die? Babies. If this is good, if this is sad, I'm gonna be really yeah, mad. Yeah, it is. I don't think we should look <laughs> at did it. The, did the heat had dried out much of the foliage. Leaves were dropping everywhere from the lack of rain. You could see through the brush now easily to the next yard. The trail cam was completely visible now. There was no Mrs. Flame on the nest. Oh. Mm. See? Tragedy strikes. This is what happens. This is sad. Yeah. I do not like this part of nature, is the first comment. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay, okay. Okay. All right. Okay. They're blaming it on blue jays. It's always they always blame it on blue jays. It's always it the seems like the blue jay is the great scapegoat of right. They are the pretty. They're smart birds. They are jerks too. They are jerks. Yeah. So what's gonna be the next yeah. important bird area? Oh. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say what's gonna be the next important bird. <laughs> <laughs> the new bird species. Um, we have a few that we're talking about, but there's a process to getting an important bird. There's a process to getting an important bird area designated. Um, so you have to run through all these criteria. There are six. And <laughs> to determine if the site you're proposing has significant numbers of globally, regionally, or state-listed species, or if that area has a significant concentration of species or like a group of species, like shorebirds, for example, or migratory songbirds. Um, And then two other criteria could be if it has a unique habitat type. So all the salt marshes in Connecticut are designated as important bird areas because they have that rare habitat type. And then the sixth criteria is if it's an important educational site, especially for ornithology. Um, Usually this has to be in combination with one of the other criteria. It's not strong enough to be... a single criteria on its own um but a lot of these sites we have as important bird areas are used for ornithology in some way um and then once it's proposed it has to be run through run by a committee and they say yay or nay so we have a couple um one in the 
northeast part of the state that has some nice grassland habitat. One of our and stuff like that. Yeah, one of our rarer habitat types uh, because there's not a lot of grassland in Connecticut that's properly managed. A lot of it is farmed um, and it gets mowed while the birds are nesting. So like bobolink will nest in grasslands, Mm -hmm. um, which is great. But then the farmers might not know it and they mow over active nests. So you only need like two extra weeks. Yeah, exactly. With with growth, right? Yeah, which could which could be detrimental to a farmer. So we try to work with the farmers to really like understand their needs um, and also want them to understand like if there's any possible way that you can let these birds nest for two more weeks, like we'll work with you. One of the challenges with bobolink, though, is that they they require like a certain um, like breadth of mm. unbroken grass, right? Yeah. So if there's if there's drive rows or there's like a weird delineation in the habitat, then they won't nest there. Is that how that works? Or at least in the numbers that are necessary or something like that? Right. Yeah. So okay. like in Connecticut, we may have a f- a few breeding pairs in an area, but it's nothing compared to like Vermont right. or something where they've got these huge agricultural lands and they're like hundreds or however many bobolinks nesting. But it must be obnoxious, actually. It's just like R2D2 rambling That's what they sound like. They do. They're they're cool, but we still like our birds. We don't want to. Yeah. We don't want to. We want them to make them all go away in Connecticut. So. How many important bird areas are there in Connecticut? Oh, something. 60. 60? Mm. 60. There are a lot. Holy yes. Shit. And this this is publicly recognized and identified. So some some are identified but not technically publicly known uh, there's because no plaque. there's no plaque and cuz that requires like money. Mm-hmm. Not money, but the state has to approve yeah, sure. it. So mm-hmm. I don't know exactly. We don't have that in our budget. The plaque is dry. We do have a nice IVA plaque that I think some of the IVAs have, but not all. So, okay. but there are a lot. Yeah, if you look at a map, it's pretty amazing how much of Connecticut is covered by IVAs. Um, they don't ca- carry any official protection status, so mm-hmm. it's not like a state park where there's no development or anything like people can live have their house or offices within an IBA but we recognize that people need to live by bird by the side of birds and vice versa so but is there can there be like any bearing over like building code and stuff like that is that is it recognized in like a court if it come if it becomes like detrimental to a habitat that isn't necessarily like state protected at the moment um I don't know about bringing like it to a court, but we've had issues where there's maybe a land trust who wants to stop an area from being developed that they sure. that's in their town and it's part of an IBA, so they'll have Audubon write a letter or participate in some way saying, "Look, you really shouldn't develop here because this is yeah. important habitat for the species," and that cool. does carry some extra weight, okay. but no official legal like status. Okay. So. Cool. Well, that's good to know. I mean, at least that there's it. It like so. It probably it's probably more like establishing that first level of defense in like a long fucking war with people. Yeah, got it. Yep. Okay. Cool. So that I mean, but that's rad. And I think that if people are actually listening to the show, maybe people that have access to like more land and stuff like that, think about 
being maybe donating maybe donating some of that shit that you're not using yeah there's and a lot of people in connecticut that own way too much fucking land <laughs> and they can still own it like we have a whole project right now where we're just trying to get people to properly manage their habitat yeah. or their land so people in the lime forest block important bird area which covers like the connecticut river area in lime um in the six surrounding towns and, the and all of that yeah that area um we understand people own large tracts of forest land, and we don't want them to necessarily donate it all to us, but we just want them to maybe not cut their forest or make sure that they have a nice sure. understory yeah. story growing for the shrubland or um, mid-canopy type bird species. Right. So there's different ways to work around it. Oh, that's rad. Yeah, we want people to like the birds, uh, not hate them because they're taking over their land. Yeah. So it, I just think it, it for as far as like public perception goes, and I think it's probably apparent by the slack jawed look on our faces when you're explaining all of this stuff to us. There isn't. This much... is just my face, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have like a strong public window into orga- how the, how organizations like Audubon work and stuff mm. like that. It's hard. It, it I think if pe- more people knew like how much on the ground work you're actually doing, yeah. like how much actual bullshit stuff you have to deal <laughs> with to get little bits of land saved mm. for, you know, for for the species that's literally showing us how quickly we're all going to fucking hell right now. Like it's that birds show us that, right? Like yep. so you know, it's I, I think it's I think if more people knew more people would fucking do something, maybe maybe help. Because I, I see new like Aspatuck is always pulling new fucking mm. uh, p- tracks of land for, like parcels of land for, for land trusts and land preserves and stuff like that. Like I like more people should just do that, I think. But if more people knew, is my point, is like, and now I think it's good that people are coming on, you're coming on to talk to us about this, because it's, Hmm. you know, we don't fucking know, which, and we love birds, so I imagine, like, you know, if people just looking into it, like, well, I'm moving into an important bird area, what does that mean Mm. for, like, my house, my impact? If people knew that, like, if organizations were, like, giving that information out more readily like yeah. you guys don't have the money and the capacity to do that but there are so many other people that could bird yeah. clubs and everything else yeah we we try um we're definitely limited by capacity um but we can get specific grants for project like the project in lime forest block is one specific grant yeah. uh so if we dedicate one grant to one iba we can really get a lot done yeah uh but it's hard yeah we want to make people aware of it but having that reach with every other program we want people to know about that we're doing too it's yeah. like there's a lot to tell people but well we're gonna swear about it constantly well, so. yeah <laughs> i mean this sort of gets back to what you were saying about um um was it easements or mm. oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know so f- i mean these seem like things that your average you know jane and joe america could do if you have property you know in east haven or Brantford or, yeah. or whatever um and i wonder you know again not to try to you know pull it back to something that's actionable um for you know average folk but it seems like that's sort of how it's going to get done i'm not saying that we can't expect the people who invest swaths <laughs> huge Tracks of land. <laughs> drinking scotch. Um, it was a Monty Python reference. That was Forget good. it. Um, um, man. So sorry, Scott. But no, it's fine. Um, 
So one of the things that I see in this uh, neighborhood and and um, in other neighborhoods when I visit friends or, or family are you know people who have this sign in their unkempt front yard that mm. says that it's an you know an official uh, wildlife habitat <laughs> you know and it just that. seems like an excuse to get out of having to no like, mowing their mow lawn. your lawn. <laughs> Um, but some of them are actually really nice. Yeah. And um, while it seems like, you know, a one-eighth of an acre, which is what we own, probably wouldn't have a big effect, um, you know, there are, are plenty of people in Hamden, Connecticut, and Hamden, New York, and Hamden, Maine, <laughs> uh, who might own a couple acres. And just because that's what, you know, came with their house when they bought it. And... You know, what, what can they do? You know, is it, so in other words, how do we get this information to, to, to people? Who do they call? Who do they write? <laughs> how does it work? Yeah. Here's well, my cat, Bjork. Oh, hi, Katie. Hi, Bjork. Where you going, Bjork? <laughs> well, people She's can fine. keep their cats indoors. That's one great. Well, that was a good segue. <laughs> nice. uh, <laughs> um, bell on the collar. <laughs> um, I think... I mean, having having an overgrown lawn is a really great start. That actually does make a big difference. Uh, if we think about going back to Northern Cardinals again, uh, if we think about the fact that they weren't here in Connecticut 100 years ago, but then one theory is that so many people started putting sunflower seeds out in their bird feeders, hmm. just in their backyards, wow, really? um, that it recruited an entire population to come up north. Um, that's one, one, one theory, but... I believe it. Um, no, it seems reasonable. So I would people can have an impact even in their own little backyards, whether it be half an acre or more. Um, but for spreading information, uh, I think that kind of can transition to more of media if you're trying to get people aware of a situation. So like at Audubon, we use media a lot to just share information because that's where the world is going right now. Like yeah. Everything is social media, which I have mixed feelings about because mm. personally I don't like it, but I understand that like to get nonprofit <laughs> or any organization um, going and to keep are, it going, you are need... Are you the publicity chair for the Bird Club? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yes. Again, like I understand why you need why you need it <laughs> um i would choose for no social media ever but i understand that that's not how the world works now so we do have it's a great tool and resource um for organizations like audubon or new haven bird club to spread the word about things so in a conservation world i think it's really important and my facebook now is just all like this endangered species this endangered species this bird this shark that showed up in long island sound yeah. like it is a great tool um so i think if people can just share information that way it does have a powerful impact so so what are some uh social media accounts that our listeners could follow Ooh, well audubon connecticut is a great one we have audubon connecticut at stratford point which is the office that i work out which is mostly coastal coastal work um, if you're looking to get involved with bird activities, you can join the New Haven Bird Club Facebook page. Um, and then I'm also following Minunkatuck Audubon, which is a chapter of the Audubon Society. 
they do really amazing conservation work um, throughout the shoreline of Connecticut from, I believe, West Haven to Madison. Um, they're, they're amazing. Like, they do so much on-the-ground conservation work, like, more than any other organization I've ever seen. Um, so are they, like, putting up blinds? They're doing cleanups? They're, they're, they, are they the people that are putting up fencing and, and like, roping off beaches um, and all that? Yeah. So all of the osprey platforms or most of the osprey platforms that you see along the coast have been put up by Minunkatuck in oh, those wow. towns of West Haven to Madison and even expanding from there. That's a lot of work. A lot mm. of work. They put up bluebird boxes, tree swallow boxes. They remove invasive species. They have they host talks where like conservation experts come and disseminate their knowledge to the members. Mm. Um, so they do a little bit of everything. Uh, Audubon Connecticut and Connecticut Audubon technicians do the string fencing. Okay. So, and yeah. volunteers okay. as well. Any any of our piping plover volunteers. Who doesn't want to be a piping plover volunteer? I Literally, know. you're a monster if you don't volunteer. They're so cute. <laughs> They're the cutest things. I know. They're just like little cotton balls that run around your feet. And those little motherfuckers are fearless. Yeah. They, like, you, you if you, like, walk down Long Beach or any of those where there's, like, a good piping pl plover population, if you're walking there, like, early spring when they're just really starting to show up and catch territory, they just, like, walk up to you. I know. They really don't try and get away from you. <laughs> and you can't see them, so they just, like, squeak at you, which is adorable and then and they just stare you down from sometimes they'll like walk up on a slipper shell like rise oh yeah but they still will just like stare you down like five ten feet away it's great <laughs> I, they're awesome little things i know they're so all the other ones fly away and they're like come at you they're like the smallest and most <laughs> badass i love them they're hilarious they're very cute this is they're why so they need good. some protection yeah i know they're sword. not yeah. maybe not the smartest section <laughs> yeah. but yeah. some swords give them arm arm the <laughs> piping plovers take the guns from people laser sights tiny ar-15s if like yeah. oyster catchers and Just... least turns imagine least turns if they were armed and humans weren't <laughs> what would happen oh mm. my god they're already psychotic I don't know how these species are bad, like, can't, like, are bad at nesting. How these species are not surviving because they're all, like, psychotic. Yeah. The three that are the most, like, worried about that we're trying the hardest to protect, piping plovers, American oyster catchers, and the least terns, are the three that are the most likely to fly at you yeah. when in danger. Like, they're mm. going to go to bat for whatever's going on. It's crazy. Uh. The other ones just fucking flee. Maybe that's why they survive. Yeah. I don't know. But they're way cooler. If people knew how badass they were, they probably would be a lot nicer to them. Yeah. I think. That's my theory. Are people mean to them? I think people are mean to them. I don't people understand. kick them and stuff. People are assholes. People are. People. I are think it's. I think it's bags. better than it was. I literally saw but... a guy taking a crap on Sandy Point in the roped off piping plover areas the other day. I like waved to him just so he knew that I could see him. I, like, like I'm watching you take a crap right now on these fucking birds like habitats. It's clearly roped off. You fucking heathen. I Sean, really I've wish I could have gotten to I'll, him. I'll say so it again. Mad. People, People are what's wrong with this thing. <laughs> People are definitely what's wrong oh with this Oh my gosh. Yeah, I don't know if our techs knew that. I'll have to, I'll yeah, have to I'm tell them. Warning do you, do you need, like, do you have no pooping signs up? Um, actually, no. Yeah. Maybe we should get some of those. Yeah. Yeah, not we have, like, do not feet. walk your dog, do not come right. close, don't do not play ball, 
But nope, no pooping. Yeah. <laughs> well, that just happened. I, was, I <laughs> watched the guy do it. He looked, I could see him looking around, and then he just, like, walked into the fucking <laughs> scrub and just squatted. And I was like, are you? I was literally yelling at the guy. I know he couldn't hear me. I'm, like, across. I'm actually on the point. He's technically, I think, that's Morse. Oh yeah, okay. Right? But he was staring at him beach. through your scope. I was watching <laughs> him through my binoculars. I didn't even care at that point. I was like so mad. I just had this beautiful like walk out onto the point, and there was just like there was nothing going on. Then you get way out at high tide, and that's where Sandy Point is like really exciting. Yeah, way yeah. Out. And like I'm walking back from this great like evening walk. I just got my first yellow crown night heron of the year, Aww. and then there's some douchebag fisherman just fucking taking a shit in the in the brush like come on that's terrible yeah it's so bad i'm sorry that i had to say that on the air but i hope that techs are looking down before they take steps if they're ever in there seriously just like that's a new thing we'll have to warn them about yeah it's it's gnarly back there (laughs) it's gross it's a dangerous world so um is there a question that you wish we had asked Or that, or that we should have asked. Yeah, is there anything you want to talk about? Is there anything like, that you want to talk about? Do you have an agenda that you need to share? You should share that you want to share. The big bird lobby. Yeah, something no. you want to advocate. Is for? there a super PAC that you need donations from? <laughs> Does that work like that? Can, I think so. Can, I think can, can is... you accept super PAC donations? What is super PAC? I don't really know what super PAC okay. is. I just hear it <laughs> talked about a lot. I don't know. Do what you that know what is? super PAC is? How you funnel money. From one place to another without being able to track the money. It's like the opposite of blockchain. Oh. Oh, okay. Wow. And, well, and typically it goes from shady some money. shady rich uh, guy to some shady politician. Oh, but okay. in this case, it might be from, oh, oh, from Sean it. to Autobahn. So yeah. if there are any shady rich dudes out there that like <laughs> animals or, some, or just want to stop being fucking shady, give your money to conservation yes. instead of D-bag politicians that are going to fucking tunnel through important places for fucking some new fancy watch face or some shit. I don't fucking know what rich people buy. But yes. stop spending your money like assholes and give it to good people. Yeah, Audubon. Also, we do have great politicians in Connecticut. I will say that. We're very lucky. Our senators mm-hmm. and state good. representatives are very conservation-minded. So. Yeah. We do want to support them. Shout out. <laughs> Who are we shouting out? You can shout people out if you want. Yeah, Scott yeah. says it all the time. I never once said shout out. I watch a lot of Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Who we are we some shouting shout outs. out? I don't, I'm just going to shout out Chris Murphy. Yeah. I think he's, he's the only name that I knew. He's dreaming. He, he wrote me and two other girls when we were interns for Connecticut Audubon a letter saying like, we, there was a newspaper article published about our work in conservation, and he wrote us all a letter saying, like, keep up your great conservation work, signed his name. Mm-hmm. And, like, that moment changed me. I was like, yep. first of all, Chris Murphy, you're the best. Yep. Second of all, like, okay, you want me to keep doing conservation? I'll keep doing conservation. Yep. Like, I want to make you proud. Um, so, yeah, he's amazing. And Blumenthal also is, mm-hmm. like, such a stalwart. Yeah. for conservation and just a lot of great things in Connecticut. So Every time I see Rosa DeLauro at mm-hmm. uh, the New Haven St. Patty's Day Parade, she's rad, yeah. She's totally cool. Yeah. Waves, yeah. waves and shakes hands. Oh, yeah, that's cool. cool. I assume she's totally pro-bird because that seems like a thing yeah, that I she think would be into. she is, yeah. yeah. I don't know how you could be not... I mean, I don't Who's know how anti-bird? you could be anti-bird, at least. Yeah, I mean, right? Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, everyone's got a poop, Sean. That's, that's true. Um... <laughs> Oh my god! 
hopefully right. we can continue with this in the in in state and maybe we'll make some better fucking decisions with our uh with a head honcho in the of the country the next time around that's going to do yes. something good for the world i think we will yeah. and whoever comes will i like your optimism reverse some of the damage that's been done mm. yeah there's some fucking national lands that we need to take back there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of there's a lot going on it's yeah you, you never have anything forever right mm-hmm. you only have it for as long as you're willing to fight for it yeah that's true yeah definitely and so this is this has just been a wake-up call i think to our generation and to your generation especially world. um world no yeah. you're not <laughs> um but that yeah i mean you you don't own anything you have to fight for it mm-hmm. and you have to keep fighting for it and it's really important especially when it comes to the air we breathe and the and the water around us yeah and maybe some of the land that we stole from the people that were here first could go yeah. back to them, and yeah, they yeah. could do they could do stuff with it too because it's theirs. theirs. They're not going to strip the lot the land. They're they're gonna yeah they're yeah we 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 need to we need to make amends with the fucking world that we're destroying for sure. Yep. Um, yep. My motto is do it for the birds. That's good. Not one. for myself. I like that yeah. motto. Yeah. Do it for the birds. Everything I do. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome no it's good do it for it's the great. birds because you were doing it for the birds and you're doing it for everything else anyway right it's all tri- it's all going to trickle back down somewhere else like trickle bird economics oh thank you that's good fuck you reagan we're Ooh. taking it back <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> we're just cursing out politicians now it's fine mm-hmm. got, got a shout out to um chris murphy earlier yeah yes. we shouted out chris murphy mm-hmm. Heather was take was tending to the wee one. So. I was to the wee James. <laughs> I tried. I don't have that accent down. To the wee baby James. Aww. Do you? Can you do the accent? Uh, the accent. She's like, which uh, accent is it? That yeah. Accent? I don't know so what generic, that like I'm transatlantic. I'm so sad. I missed a Chris Murphy shout out. Yeah. Well, we were talking about the 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 fact that um, Connecticut state politicians are are pretty down with conservation efforts yeah. and things like that, and then we were just doing the shout out. Mm. Shout out Chris Murphy. Again. What up? <laughs> hearts um, in my eyes. Hurts your eyes? Hearts in my eyes. Oh, hearts Me in too. my eyes. Like, oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have allergies too. He's a dreamy politician. Mm-hmm. He is. He shook my hand once and I was like, oh, speechless. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, we got a selfie together. <gasps> Jealous. Wow. Impressive thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm comfortable with it. Chris, if you want to come on the show, oh my God. here's an invite. Yep. Please Anytime. sit down with us and talk about conservation. You don't even have to swear Murphy if you burning. don't want to. You you have to swear. Once. Once. I he's, said heck. He'd say like gosh. You didn't even I mean you said you haven't sworn once, which I said I'm, heck. You don't I mean, have to. It's fine. You don't have She's to. She's representing a very important and prestigious I think organization. We swear enough for the both. I think you <laughs> have sworn more in the last <laughs> 20 minutes. <laughs> I don't get to curse it. Then the Bronx yeah, did tonight. True. I can't help it. I'm sorry. You got fired up about the, the poop on the plovers. So. I did. Oh, Man, I missed so much. Yeah, you left for five minutes and there was this whole thing. Don't worry, we'll edit it out. Don't edit that out. Fuck <laughs> that guy. <laughs> I'm sorry, Audubon. I'm sorry that I'm swearing. No, I, I don't think we knew about that, so we needed we needed to know. I'm here to, I'm here to fucking spread the news. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> vacation tomorrow you guys come on guys <laughs> all right do you have any last tips for new birders do you have mm. tips for new birders 
Oh, oh, oh. Whoa, and, whoa, and, whoa. And the ivory build woodpecker. Oh. <laughs> well, do you whoa. have tips? Let's do the tips. Okay, all right. Tips for new tips. burgers. I would say <laughs> just don't be afraid to ask a question about a bird when you're out birding with expert birders. Because I get hung up on that a lot. I'm with these, like, really amazing birders. And they're like, oh, this species, this species, this species. And I'm like, uh, which species? So, and sometimes I don't ask because I'm embarrassed. Cause I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm obviously not good. I need to get so much better. But I know I've improved over the last few years, but I'm not an expert yet because these people have been doing it for like 30 more years than I have. So just understanding that and not being afraid to ask questions because I think most birders want to help people get good at birding. So yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. just put yourself out there and try to learn as much as you can from the people who know it all. That's good advice. I cool. think that's really good advice. Yeah. Don't be scared to ask questions about I the feel bird. Like that's <laughs> you rhymed that one. That was good. <laughs> Tried. I feel like that applies <laughs> to a lot. I feel like there's. I feel like. I feel like there's a lot of of fear of asking questions. And especially now that there's Google, right? Like, you know, it's just like, oh, I should be able to... I'll, I'll just try to remember that and, and look it up it. later or whatever. But I think you would learn more asking a birder oh, because yeah. of their experience. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, definitely having that interaction with a bird and hearing it for the first time and being like, there it is, is so much better than looking it up on Cornell's website later and be like, oh, yeah, yeah that's what it sounds like. Yeah. But... Yeah. Mm. No, firsthand experience, I've embedded more memory and then have a quick quicker recall yeah yeah of course definitely textbook yeah absolutely <laughs> scott scott seeing his first black burning in the, the other weekend was pretty was pretty wild to see the look on his face so I bet <laughs> that works yeah ask and look yeah it was amazing things yeah happen. it was a really crazy it was a crazy look that we had at him too for a good long time yeah it was glorious it was nice Good to see it. I was at a baby play date. (laughs) Aww. We took pictures. (laughs) I took pictures. You did take pictures. Of the baby play date. That's cute. That's just as nice as a bird. We were at Trapbrook and got the black Bernian on a path along with three gorgeous male scarlet tanagers that were just like, hey. Yeah, just (laughs) hanging out. That's pretty cool. Yeah. There's a lot going on that day. Billion oven birds. Mm-hmm. A billion oven birds. It's awful. It's so bad that like by the time we were walking back, we were just making jokes about how like what a shame it is you can never hear oven birds and there's no way to find them because oh, you yeah. can't locate them. It's so hard to hear anything else right now. Anywhere you go, it's just a fucking up teacher, 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 teacher. Everywhere you go. It was like wild. It was that or a wood eastern wood peewee. That's it. Oh, yeah. That's or the summer, yeah. like, shut yeah. up. <laughs> Do you remember what the weird peewee call that we heard at the beginning was that we couldn't we couldn't figure out what it was yeah they literally don't shut up so if they're not doing the loud peewee they sit there and do this tiny little half-assed chirp thing that from like wherever they're perched and it just like it like does this sound over and over again it's really half-assed yeah it was it was literally half-assed because instead of the or like whatever it is with the upturn at the end yeah it was just sort of a yeah, and it was uh, like really weird, and we're like listening to this, like, <laughs> what does that? Yeah, it's obviously a, a peewee, and it was 
it was like catching bugs. It was doing its thing. So it was like the in-betweens, but it never actually sang like a complete song. Yeah. It was really odd. It was tired. Slang. <laughs> that's probably must have been super tired or something. Mm. That's a good explanation. I like that. Yeah. My scientific reason. <laughs> <laughs> always go with the most obvious. Yeah, right? All of your research coming all out on the table. Right? Yes. Probably tired. Years of research. Probably tired. You're just tired. That's a long flight. Wherever you flew in from. And boy, you're wings tired. All right, on that note. Wow. Um, thank you so much. You're uh, welcome. Yeah. I rebuild wood, woodpecker. I rebuild woodpecker. Do you uh, have any opinions? So, I always, you know, thought, no way. But I had a housemate when I was living in West Haven who was convinced he saw one in Florida. And... The plot thickens. Yes. He's not really a birder, but he does have a keen eye for birds because he would always show me pictures of birds and, like, go through all the ID marks to try to get at it. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like, that is what it is. So, like, he knew what he was talking about, even though he wasn't, like, the typical birder. Hmm. But he was like, no, this is not affiliated. Like, I really think it was this. Hmm. Where And this was in Florida? In Florida. I don't know exactly where. Mm -hmm. So... You never know. You never know. You never know. We'll put this down Son as a, a as a bitch. maybe. We've got <laughs> two. We've got two firm nos and one maybe. Three nos. Uh oh. We just keep getting nos. You're the first. Uh, you're the first wild card in here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, who knows? You know. All right. I'm so probably no, but this one, this one thing, you know, just put a little, put a little seed of doubt in my mind. Yes. Yes. George, we're going on a canoe trip. <laughs> Break out the canoe, George. You better get ready. We're Bring not the cheesesteaks. We're not looking for that that bird, but we're definitely going on a trip to Florida. <laughs> if it shows up, it shows up. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Um, wow, well, thanks for yeah. thanks for sparking a new, something new to talk about, because now I'm just going to bring that. I'll be like, well, one time... This Genevieve said that her friend said that. <laughs> <laughs> they maybe saw something yeah. that looked like one. <laughs> and then I'm just in the bayou in a canoe. Mm-hmm. So is this question really just about you giving you hope to go and look for it? I mean, no, because it's like a longstanding <laughs> point of controversy. It kind of like goes back to the original like fuck up right of our on of humanity it's like the one it's like the most prominent bird that we fucked up mm. in the united states like mm. we ruined its habitat fucking audubon ate it uh you know all sorts of stuff happened and it was delicious he said it was delicious i believe him he probably ate a lot of birds um it's fine it was a thing back then liverachi liverachi <laughs> um i'm gonna eat that sandwich on the canoe trip Looking for with George, with George. Like bring it looking for the, the special the hot pack. Mm. Yeah, mm. Oh, it's gonna be yeah. delicious. If so, you know, if you're not, if you can organize another canoe, or you well, bring more people. It's gonna be great. <laughs> we're bringing sandwiches and we're going to look for the Iberville woodpecker. All right, I'm so in. It's in. Um, <laughs> we just need a swamp guide, some some shotguns or whatever yeah, else you need like, down there. Waiters. Sounds great. Let's I don't do think it. you. I think the goal is to not touch the water at all under any circumstances. That's my goal. <laughs> that would definitely be my goal. Because there's stuff in the water you 
don't. It's Florida, man. It's got like spice in it. Spice. I think spice is the least of my concern. Bath salts is there. You go. That's all the drugs in the water. Mm. Oh man. Spice is the term for that synthetic marijuana. Wow. Wow. I learned that when like forty people died in the. Well, almost died in New Haven. Oh, yeah, on the green. Okay. What was it, Kate? No, it's... Yeah, but I guess that it was the synthetic... The street. We bring it all all in here. Street drugs. <laughs> street drugs. Birds. Yeah, I build woodpeckers. Yeah. Audubon. Street drugs. Never thought I'd be saying Yellow. those in the same sentence. Yellow, <laughs> Yellow It's New Haven. We do... We try and stay authentic. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. Um, well... Thank you, Genevieve. Yeah, you're yeah. welcome. Really enlightening. This was really aw- Yeah, this was really good. <laughs> Save the salt marsh sparrows. I'm trying. For love I do of love God. them. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Thanks you so for having much. me. This was really fun. Yeah. You guys are great to talk to. We oh. try. We're doing our best. <laughs> Are we? No, we're just cur- we can do we're better. just cursing our way through. It. <laughs> just really we can do better. We'll do better in the future. We'll try. Yeah, we probably won't. You got this. Nope. But as long so as there scary. are people like you doing better for yes. the world, yeah. then, we're, then we're the three of us can just fucking ramble fuck around. And then, it's like, fine. highlight people like you. <laughs> so, 100%. Donate all your fucking money to Audubon Society. Well, Leave know. your fucking property to the conservation societies. Stop fucking shit up. An easement if you own shorefront property. Please, for the love of God, stop shitting on the fucking sand dunes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Genevieve. <laughs> This was great. Drops the mic, don't. (laughs) It's expensive. Thanks for tuning in to episode four, and thanks to Genevieve for sitting through all that. Remember to go support your local Audubon chapter, check out your local bird club, and give all of your money to conservation. If you have any questions, comments, or general shade to throw, you can find us on Instagram at Podcast, on Facebook, and on Twitter at Show, or you can email us at info at Remember to like, subscribe, comment, and save the fucking salt marsh sparrow.